So the task that we have in front of us in Lent is felt by many, many of us who have done it a lot, and many of those that it's new to, it's felt to be a daunting task. The exercise of discipline, the exercises in discipline, are meant to be serious in Lent. It's not a game. Uh, It's not just, oh, let's put on a surface face of soberness because it's Lent. Actually, if anything, your face should show joy in the midst of Lent, because in the midst of suffering, there is joy. Fasting is meant to be taken seriously. We were just talking about uh, the um, Tractarians, the Oxford Fathers in the 1800s, um, writing one of them, now I can't remember, I think it was Pusey, wrote a tract on fasting. And all he did was go to the prayer book and point out what the prayer book says about fasting. And people were just so alarmed. So, oh my gosh, what? Fasting? We don't do that. Um, but fasting is meant to be taken seriously. Spiritual disciplines are to be just that. Disciplines. You don't discipline your body for a game, a basketball game, uh, downhill skiing, whatever it is. You don't pretend to discipline. You really discipline to prepare for the competition. We have seen in years past, and loosely this pre-Lenten season, how our fathers before us, going all the way back to the early church, Our fathers before us have set us readings during this season that remind us of the virtues we need to inculcate to have a more successful Lenten discipline. In other words, they were saying, oh, so many centuries ago, you need the cardinal virtues or the hinge virtues. That's where the Latin comes from. It means hinge, that your life will turn on these virtues. Aristotle said, you need these virtues so that your own personal life, but all of our lives, if we all pursue these virtues, we will have human flourishing. And I think he was right. He was quite often right. The cardinal virtues are prudence or wisdom, justice, Temperance or self-control, and fortitude or courage. And when we look at heroes, maybe not contemporary, but if you go back and think about classic heroes, uh, from the Greeks onward, each society usually gets one or two of these virtues in place. Um, I think of Achilles. Um, Self-control is not top on the list for things I think of about Achilles. He gets in a rage and he goes berserk. But courage is. Wisdom is not high on my list for Achilles because he lets thousands of his fellow soldiers die while he sits in the ships listening to music. And you can go through the history of heroes and kind of say, well, yeah, there's courage there and then there's self-control. Wow, and there... And in fact, as I was talking earlier this fall, I think, uh, Virgil has his character have to learn self-control 
because he lands in uh, Dido's hometown and Carthage, and he goes wild for Dido. And he's starting to think, hey, this could be a good place. Maybe we should settle here. When the gods have told him, no, you're going to found Rome. And so we see all these cardinal virtues in flux, deal in, in all the classical literature, and even in our society, you know, don't have to go very far back. And you can look at the, super, the comic book heroes and, and think through some of these issues too. Sometimes more successfully, sometimes less. But all of these readings during, not all, but the first two in particular during pre-Lent, really touch on those four cardinal virtues. And those virtues are just literally classical, classic virtues, and ones that have continued to be issues throughout the life of humanity as, as a civilization. Please note, however, the prayer for today. It's called the Collect. So the prayer for today, let me repeat it for you. O Lord, who has taught us that all our doings without charity or love are nothing worth, send thy Holy Ghost and pour into our hearts that most excellent gift of charity, the very bond of peace and of all virtues without which whosoever liveth is counted dead before thee. Grant this for thine only Son, Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. So our prayer for today reminds us that those four cardinal virtues, great things, wisdom, um, uh, uh, help me out, justice, courage, and self-control, those are great things to have in your life. And they are excellent and helpful for our Lenten disciplines. But ultimately, they are really nothing, ultimately, without love. Indeed, our Lenten disciplines without love are useless as spiritual disciplines. The Apostle lists, then, in our text, a number of things that love is not. That is, the kinds of actions and sins that cannot exist in our lives at the same time that we are exercising love. And these are envy, boasting, arrogance, rude behavior, rude speech, self, selfishness, self-orientation, exasperation, a suspicious and unforgiving manner, and taking joy, pleasure, and exultation in other people's fall into sin. If love is the ultimate virtue, and if love brings to fruition the cardinal virtues, justice, courage, self-control, and wisdom, if love brings to flourishing and fruition the cardinal virtues, then think through that list. And if you are falling into any of those sins, then love is not what you're about, and you will not have the fruition of courage, of justice, of wisdom, and of self-control. On the positive side, St. Paul says that love patiently endures and actively does good. So patience is sort of something we have to build for our own defense. <laughs> we sometimes have, it's, it's a passive sort of thing, patience tends to be. But active good works 
should be done within patience, right? So love is an action, and very often we have to do it with patience. No, no, as I explained to a student, let me, actually, as I explained to a waitress one day, no, let me repeat, this, this, and this. Oh, so you don't want the second one. No, let me repeat, and fourth time, I thought she had it, and uh, when we got our food. She didn't have it, but it was close enough. (laughs) So patience is continuing to love someone while you are being frustrated. Love endures evils, it confers blessings. Love rejoices in the truth. Says one commentator, there are many who resist the truth or who hold the truth in unrighteousness, but love accepts that reality, keeps truth pure, and exalts in all of truth's triumphs. Love endures wrongs and evils. It covers a multitude of sins, we hear in Proverbs, in 1 Peter. It takes the best and the most optimistic view of all men and circumstances as it is possible to do. Did you get that? Let me repeat that. It takes the best and most optimistic view of all men and circumstances. And... Sometimes I say I'm a realist, but sometimes I'm just being pessimistic. Uh, This is never going to work. This is a waste of time. Uh, Yes, realism says that we have to say, will it work or does it have a chance at working and make a choice? But optimism says once we've done that, then we give it our all and we're going to make it work. We're going to do everything we can to make it work. So love takes the best and most optimistic view within reality of all men and circumstances as it is possible to do. Love is entirely alien from the spirit of the cynic, the pessimist, the rival, the anonymous slanderer, the secret detractor. Are we in a cynical age? Unbelievably so. Everyone is a cynic. High schoolers are now cynics. I mean, it's amazing what you run into just every day on the street. Love is hopeful. And hope is not just an emotion or an attitude. It is a gift and it is a grace. It is of God Almighty. Says our commentator, hope is averse to sourness and gloom. I love that. It takes sunny and cheerful views of man, of the world, and of God because it is a sister of love. My pastor growing up used to say, you know, Christians are known, well, particularly the brand of Baptists, I suppose we were, Christians are often known for being sour. It's like they've just sucked on a lemon and their face is all screwed up, kind of... He says, no one wants to join the club of sour-faced people. Hope is averse to sourness and gloom. When we have hope, we too should have a sunny and cheerful view of man, of the world, and of God. It affects how we live our days, in other words. Love endures everything. 
whether it is the sins of friends and foes alike against us, or the ascetic self-denying disciplines of Lent, or the stings of persecution for living like Christ, love endures them all because love never fails. I know that your love fails and my love fails, but it fails because of us. When we have the Holy Spirit and we call on the Holy Spirit and we receive the presence of Christ in the Eucharist and we call on God to help us to love, love will never fail when we do that. And God's love will never, ever fail us. There are three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. Love, however, says St. Paul, is the greatest. Why? Because, as one old hymn has it with a small variation, faith will vanish into sight, hope be emptied in delight. Love and the kingdom of God will shine more bright. Another commentator notes, Love is the way of life in the new world to which by grace we are bound. We need to learn it here and now. It's the grammar of the language we shall speak there. The more progress we make in it here, the better we shall be equipped then. Even a lot of the positives of life in our current heavens and earth will disappear in the new heavens and the new earth. Many gifts of the Spirit that are needed now will not be needed there. Love, however, is the most needed here, and it will endure to the new heavens and the new earth. Our commentator continues, Love is God's river flowing on into the future across the border into the country where there is no pride, no jostling for position, no contention among God's people. We are invited to step into that river here and now and let it take us where it's going. How beautiful it is when we do this. How beautiful in our spirits, how beautiful in our community, how beautiful to the world. This stepping into the river of love and going with the flow. This is witnessing the gospel, isn't it? This is witnessing to the reality of the future world of God's recreated order, breaking into the present of our broken world with love. The incarnation and the resurrection of Jesus are the most obvious ways in which the future has broken into the present And every time we come to the table, the past is also breaking into the present. And we are to witness all of that. The incarnation, the life, the ministry, death, burial, resurrection of our Lord, who has since ascended to rule his kingdom. We do this most obviously with and in love. The virtues are meant to help us love more effectively. Without love, however, they can never get us to the place we need to be. Let's approach Lent with the virtues at our side as our aids and tools, but with love in our hearts as the driving force of our lives. Amen.